Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. This is the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles brought to you by betonline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. I know my guy, Greg, straight back from Florida, the sun, the warm weather. Maybe you got a little bit of a tan. I don't know. But of course, there was a lot said, Greg, down south. Uh, Thanks to Robert Kraft. Thanks to Bill Belichick. Let's start with the owner. Um, Your reaction to Kraft's comments talking about no playoff wins in three years setting some expectations for this team. What did you think the owner was trying to do with his comments? Yeah, it was definitely um, interesting, Nick. And and I'll just start off by saying that Robert Kraft's um, on the record comments were not the only sort of information that we gleaned about the Patriots and sort of how they feel about how the ownership feels about it or the organization feels about where the team is right now. So I just want to sort of say that at the outset, because I may say some things may allude to some things that people are like, well, Robert didn't say that or what have you. What people need to understand is that, look, this is the first league meeting in really like, you know, two or three years. And, you know, these league meetings are good because you get face to face with the power brokers around the league that, that many of us have known, You know, I've been covering the league for two decades. So there's a lot of people inside and outside the organization that I've known for a very long time that I haven't really seen face to face. So it's been it's been harder to get information that we normally would have had before. I I feel much better about um, that. The information gaps are sort of filled now on what I know about the team or how the league perceives um, the team. So I just wanted to say that up front. I thought in terms of Robert's comments, um, I was definitely surprised that he came and it was and it was by and it was no mistake. It was by design that he came out of the box without taking a question and talked about uh, not making the play, no playoff wins in three years, uh, drafting again for the second straight year. He hit on it and his uh, his belief that you have to draft well I mean for him to say you know we drafted well last year but the previous four drafts weren't any good I was definitely surprised by that and I think that gives you some indication of where uh how ownership feels um I do think that Bill uh that that Robert um likes to align himself with the fans and um but I will say this I don't I wouldn't I didn't take Roberts on the record comments as you know really putting Belichick on the spot really putting pressure on Bill. Now I will say that <clears throat> the information I have is that look Kraft and ownership sees where the team is has seen what Bill has done this offseason. Uh, the lack of activity and also what he's done with the coaching staff, personnel, who he's promoted, who he hasn't. And they have many of the same questions that we have. Same, same of the, the same questions that we've been asking on this podcast about what's going on with this team. Right. Why are they doing X, Y, and Z? I think that ownership has the same questions. They are giving Bill a wide berth this year. They're like, okay. Basically, they're like, okay. 
I don't understand why you're doing any of this and it doesn't look good, but you have certainly earned the right to do this. However, if it doesn't work and if the Patriots don't make the playoffs, if they regress, then I think this is setting up for Robert at the very least to ask some very serious questions after this season and perhaps for him to flex his muscle more on the football side if things don't go well this season. Interesting. You know, it'll be interesting to see if Kraft does do just that and, and start flexing the muscle if, if the season doesn't go as well as, as he wants it to go. I know some people tried to lead into his comments and say, oh, well, you know, Bill, is he on the hot seat? Is he... Everybody relax with that. Bill Belichick is not on the hot seat. They did win 10 games last year. They got to the playoffs. The season did not end the way that any of us wanted it to end. We talked about it when it happened, when they got absolutely stomped by the bills, but you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna put the greatest coach of all time after a double digit win season, getting to the playoffs. You're not going to put him on the hot seat the next year. It's just, it's just unrealistic. That's not what Kraft was doing. I think Kraft was, in his own way, he was sending a signal to Belichick. And I agree yes. with you, Greg, where it's, Hey, look, yes. I'm, I'm paying attention. You know, I'm, I'm not sitting back here. I'm not resting on my laurels. I'm not, you know, the, the older owner who's won six Super Bowls going to kick my feet up and have some drinks and not worry about things. I want to win. And, and we can't look, you know, too far past the ages of both guys. Honestly, when we have this conversation, Belichick's going to be 70. Kraft is in his late seventies. Both guys are highly competitive. I don't think that Belichick necessarily needs a kick in the pants. Uh, Belichick wants to win. We all know that. And Belichick mm -hmm. understands that he's going to be 70 as well as anybody else knows he's going to be 70. But, but I do think every once in a while as the owner, as the person up top, You've got to make sure that everybody is doing their best job and that they understand what the expectations are. And you set the goals, you set the tone. I think that's what Kraft did. And I don't think it's, hey, we're going to fire you if, if we don't make a deep run this year. It's just we got to continue to check these boxes, Bill, and make sure that we're progressing in the right direction. Because if we're not, then, yeah, I'm going to have to really start to butt in. And, and maybe I won't be Jerry Jones and be insufferable, but I will make sure that my voice is heard a little bit more in these meetings. And I will be looking at the future of this organization and understanding that you might not be a part of it. I, I, I completely agree with you, Nick. And <clears throat> a couple more things along those lines. Um, you know, I do. I, what's interesting to me and, and we won't see it. It probably won't manifest itself, but you know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And uh, trust me, Belichick and his people saw Robert's co comments, you know, heard Robert's comments. And, yep. and I don't they probably weren't thrilled about it. Um, you know, Bill's sort of, you know, used to and he has certainly earned it uh, many times over to sort of, uh, you know, sort of have hands off. Leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. I've won you six Super Bowl titles, that sort of thing. Um, you know, you know, Robert sort of doubling down on the draft was interesting. I mean, I think they look at, I will say this one thing that from talking to people at the NFL owners meetings, because, and, and there are, look, there are questions. Like I said, there are questions from ownership about what they've done specifically about, you know, Matt Patricia and his role, Joe judge, lack of a real offensive coordinator, or at least experienced offensive coordinator, uh, for Mac Jones, who is going into his second year. Robert talked about that, how, you know, you know, there's a year two jump for these guys. They expect to see it. If it doesn't happen, they're going to, they're probably going to blame the coaching ch um, changes on that. And, and Bill's, you know, not bringing in Bill O'Brien or Adam Gase or somebody like that. Um, <clears throat> so it'll be interesting to see how Belichick and his people sort of react to what Kraft did. But I do think that Kraft wants to keep the pressure on. I think he, at least he feels, and I'm not saying this is reality. I think that he feels that his comments last year about where the team was in the draft and having to spend $230 million all because of poor drafting, I think, and then all of a sudden them coming up with their best draft in years, I think that Kraft <laughs> feels a little bit emboldened by that, that he thinks that 
the pressure, the sort of the under the table pressure that he put resulted in changes. And I think he's doubling down on that. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, they are, they're watching, like you said, I, they're not putting him on notice, but you know, it's, and I don't think that even if they go in the tank this year, for some reason, if they have a losing record, like I don't think Belichick's job's in jeopardy. But I do think that the Crafts, say, could step in and say, all right, well, you know, you need to, you need to bring in a real offensive coordinator, real quarterback guy. They, they, they understand. Look, Bill has not had the best track record in terms of bringing in coaches sort of mid-career or where, they, where they've been someplace else, even if, like, say, a Brett Bielema, somebody like that. Bill hasn't had the best success with those guys, and he's better with younger people and people who have been here. You know, so like a Nick Cayley, they, they understand that, that Bill has a better hit record promoting from within, going with younger guys, and training them on the fly than he does older guys, but they want to see the results. And we'll we'll have to see how that goes. It's an interesting conversation because when you look at first of all, I, I think they they understand that Belichick they're giving him some slack in the rope, and, and they should yep. obviously, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy's done what he's done, so we agree on all of that. The coaching part of this is fascinating because you know a lot of people think about Belichick and they think about his coaching staff and they think about his underlings. And they tend to think about the Belichick coaching tree and what these guys have been in other places. But I think you bring up a great point, Greg. Belichick has a long track record of cultivating coaches underneath him that Mm -hmm. are good and and that truly understand it. And whether it's, you know, they just miss the details, the minutia that Belichick understands, whether it's, you know, they don't understand clock management and personnel. There's a lot of different things that go into it, right? Like McDaniels, when he went to Denver, he failed. He was 32 years old, 33 years old. He was given the ultimate power in the organization. He made a bunch of moves that made no sense, like drafting Tebow in the first round. And he rubbed people the wrong way. He didn't know, you know, people's skills. Maybe that'll be different with the Raiders now moving forward. Patricia Mm -hmm. was kind of the same way, right? Patricia went to Detroit, smart guy, good coach, but he rubbed people the wrong way. Didn't have great people skills. Um, came across as too much of a Belichick clone. But when you look at what Belichick does with these guys, when they're on his staff, he has a good track record. I mean, he, he has developed some really good coaches. So I'm not going to write off Nick Cayley. Do I, do I wish they had somebody who was more experienced? I think it would make me feel more comfortable because Mac Jones is going into a second year, but Belichick, you know, who was sitting there talking about Josh McDaniels being one of the best, you know, offensive coordinators when, when he was first given the duty of, of calling plays. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit there and say, because I don't know Nick Cayley from a hole right. in the wall, I'm not going to sit here and, and judge him and tell you that he's going to fail. I don't know if he's going to succeed, but I do think Belichick's history with young coaches, guys that he's brought up and developed for the most parts worked out really well. Brian Flores, another name. So I think, I think we should give him the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's what Kraft's doing. Kraft is saying, look, you've been at this for 40 years. You've been with us for over 20. You've won six Super Bowls. You've been to a bunch of them. And, you know, when you look at the young guys that you've brought up and how you develop some of this talent in the coaching staff, you deserve the benefit of the doubt. And if this thing blows up and it's a disaster because Joe Judge doesn't know what he's doing as a QB's coach because Matt Patricia is a mess with the offensive line because Nick Cayley can't find his ass with his, you know, two hands and a flashlight uh, calling plays, then I'm going to step in. So I've got no problem with that. Let's look at the, the Belichick part of this, because of course, Belichick spoke with the media before Kraft did. And, you know, he spoke on free agency. He spoke on the staff. He spoke on Matt grow your thoughts on what bill had to say to the media when you guys all met with him. Yeah, you know, I thought it was it was typical Bill. I mean, low on, you know, he was asked a lot of specific questions, the right questions that needed to be asked. And, you know, he just didn't, you know, want to answer them um, for, you know, whatever reason. I mean, I don't understand, you know, the co- the, the players are going to start being back in the building um, in a couple weeks and they're going to know who they're coached by. I don't know why we can't know. And um you know, it, it's. I, I thought that Bill 
I thought, and I and I agree with Bill. He talked about you know asking. We asked about Joe Judge and Matt Patricia, and he, you know Bill's right. And I made this point before. Say what you want about you know maybe you don't like Patricia or Judge for whatever reason. You know the the quotes that they've given as head coaches, or you know the way that they look, the way they conduct themselves. Look, the guys are good football coaches, and Bill said that, and I agree with that. And um, you know, not having not having experience in a certain aspect of the game, you know, is it a huge deal? No, I mean, you know, look, everybody reveres Dante Scarnecchia for the word work that he did as offensive line coach here forever, but Dante Scarnecchia coached another position before he coached the offensive line. And, you know, let's just use Matt Patricia for an example. I know Dante Scarnecchia was named offensive line coach, and I forget if it was – I think I don't think it was Belichick. I think it might have been somebody before that. Um, and it might have been Belichick. Um, I'd have to go back and look. But the first thing Dante Scarnecchia did when he knew he was going to be coaching offensive line and switching, I think, from special teams to offensive line is he sought out – some of the best offensive line coaches in the business out in Cincinnati, Jeff McNally, who uh, was a longtime uh, Bengals offensive line coach, um, a couple other guys. And he, you know, got in his car and he drove out there and they talked on the whiteboard for like three days and talked off. And that's actually how the coaches of offensive line clinic that I, I go to every few years out in Cincinnati, that's how it was born. And, you know, Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, I'm sure, are doing the exact same thing. I'm sure they're spending time studying up, and, and, and you have the ability to do that. And so I'm not, you know, overly alarmed. I mean, I, I do – I will say that the NFL at large, you know, I mean, Matt Patricia being everywhere with Belichick. I mean, he was at the league meetings, and assistant coaches are never at the league meetings. I don't think Josh McDaniels ever went. And he's there with him all over the place. Everywhere he goes, there's Matt Patricia. And it's just, you know, it's odd. But, uh, you know, I think that Bill I think that Bill had a plan this offseason. A couple other things, a couple other tidbits of information I was able to glean that people have been asking about, we've been asking about, <clears throat> their lack of spending this offseason. A lot of people want to assume that it's, oh, they spent a lot last offseason, so the checkbook's not open. That's not the case. Um, like we've talked about two years ago, uh, you know, the Cam Newton year, they cut expenses and they only spent like 150 million. So they saved money that year. A lot of it was rolled over into 21. They had the ability to do some things. Belichick has decided not to do that. They also have the ability to push cap into future years. Like we've seen a lot of teams like the Rams to load up. Um, the Patriots, it was made plain to me that the Patriots have done that in the past. They're still willing to do it. Um, they just haven't decided to do that. Now, why? I do think that Belichick thinks that he has guys, and he talked about it, that he has guys who they think are going to take a step forward this offseason, whether it's Josh Uche, right. Kyle Duggar becomes better, um, you know, some of their young, you know, maybe some of the younger quarter cornerbacks, um, you know, Christian Barmore, you know, guys like that. And also on offense, Nelson Aguilar, Jonu Smith being the second year in the offense, changing a little bit what Jonu does. I don't know if that solves the problem. That's a that's a debate for a later date. But I think that Bill looks at all these things and he feels comfortable. And I do think I think they are going to be active, Nick. And I think you would agree. There's a lot of players that are still decent players that are still out there and yeah. they're sort of waiting for yes. the price to drop at some point those guys are going to have to take a job and while the Patriots might not yep. be the lure that they once were they are going to be able to say hey you have a chance to play a lot here you know on a one-year deal and do what you want and we've seen that in the past once the draft happens then other people are going to be cut loose um and, and there's going to be more people available. And I know, um, what's his name? Uh, Scott Pioli talked about this, even though, you know, I do think he's a little, you know, fair, fair skied about the Patriots and where they are. And he more than anybody believes in bill and thinks there's a plan and they're going to do it. But yes, there, I still think 
and they have tons of roster spots still available that they have. I think they're going to be active in the third wave of free agency. It's not going to, it's not going to be crazy. There's probably going to be a lot more guys coming off of ACL tears, um, which seems like Belichick seems to be in love with currently that they're going to, you know, sort of wait and see, but I do think they're going to add more people. And I think, I think Bill's comfortable where they are um, in that the Patriots will be able to compete this year. And, you know, that's sort of like my main takeaway from what Bill had to say. So a couple of things to unpack. First of all, the coaching staff stuff. Um, I just want to talk about for a minute, you know, the history of some of these guys that get trashed on. And again, I'm not telling you that they would have succeeded if they were in other places. I'm not telling you that Matt Patricia was going to be a great head coach. Don't think I'm sitting here drinking the Kool-Aid, blah, 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 blah. Don't fall into the Felger traps. But let's look at this. Joe Judge was with the Giants. The Giants have a great history, a great tradition, and they also had a suck-ass GM, Dave Gettleman, who absolutely drove that organization into the ground. He was awful. If you look at his decision-making, if you look at his draft picks, if you look at his salary cap management, that dude was as bad as you could be. He stunk. And I don't know if any coach would have been able to win with Dave Gettleman's work in New York. Detroit has lost forever. Jim Caldwell is like basically the only guy in the past 20 years that's won, uh, you know, above 500 with that, with that uh, group, and, and they let him go. So, and you can think of Caldwell what you want. I don't think he's a great coach, but he's, he's really the only guy that's won there. Mm-hmm. So when you start to look at some of these, you know, again, McDaniels, 32 years old, given way too much, way too young. They, they let him call the shots. It was ridiculous. So I think, you know, to to just kind of write some of these guys off, because I do think fans fall into that, right? Like, oh, Joe Judge, he went to New York and it was an embarrassment. Well, how much of that was on Joe? How much of that was on Gettleman and and everything else? Matt Patricia, Detroit, same thing. Um, As far as free agency, I couldn't agree with you more. I I honestly look at who has been signed. And there's like, what, three guys that I – sat back and said, Oh, that would have been a nice pickup for the Patriots. Like there's Mm -hmm. like legitimately three or four guys like Allen Robinson, um, maybe Bobby Wagner. If you think he would have been able to change scheme, but he was never coming to new England. Bobby Wagner is from LA. He's going to go play in his home city. He wanted to stay in the NFC West. He got money from the Rams. He was. So when you start to look at the guys that have actually gone, how many of them did you think the Patriots going to be in on or should have been in on? And when you look at the remaining free agents, there's a bunch of guys. I mean, if we, if you and I went through the list that we went through a couple of weeks ago, the vast mm-hmm. majority of those cats are still available. Like yep. go to NFL.com right yep. now, Greg, best free agents available. Uh, Tyron Matthew still available. He was their sixth best free agent going into the off season. Odell Beckham jr. Was their 11th best free agent. And you could sit there and squabble with the rankings, but you get my point Beckham yep. 11. He's still available. Gilmore 12 still available. Dwayne Brown, 14, still available. Jadavian Clowney, still available. Calais Campbell, Melvin Ingram, um, Gronk, Jarvis Landry, Jerry Hughes, Akeem Hicks, Trey Flowers. Uh, All of these guys were in their top 50 of free agency. There's a lot of dudes that are still out there that I think could fit with this football team. So I'm not freaking out. Free agency, honestly, you know, doing a show Monday through Friday every day out here in Sacramento, the first six days, the first wave, as we call it, was just huge and crazy and nuts. And then you had a couple of good, like, bigger signings for the second wave. But really, the last 10 days or so, there hasn't been a bunch done. So I think no. the entire league, people are getting on Belichick. Would you agree with this, Greg, or not? It seems to me that most of the league is playing this like Belichick. Most of the league, I believe, thinks that this market is a little too high right now. Teams that are desperate, like the Jacksonville Jaguars, are jumping in and, and overpaying guys. And I think the majority of the league is laying back and waiting for these dudes that are still available to realize you ain't getting the money you thought you were going to get. Yeah, I I, I would agree with that. I, I do think that there are there are guys, and and a lot of those guys on the list that you mentioned, um, you know, probably for whatever reason aren't going to be Patriots, mostly because. You know, those are guys who are like, I've already made my bank. I'm only playing for a certain amount, you know, like Matthew Gilmore, right. Brown. Those are guys that like 
have been around, they're like, I'm not getting off my couch for $5 million a year. So they're, they're going to wait. But I do, <clears throat> I do agree with you. And I think that the Patriots are sitting back. One thing I wanted to say about that real quick about, you know, there's a lot of fans who want to believe, and it could be true. They want to believe, oh, well, they're sitting out this year because they're going to have $100 million in cap space next year. That, that is true. They will. But what you also have to understand is that the Patriots are going to have a lot of company next year with teams. I think there's like 15 teams with over $70 million in cap space. And the Patriots, the only time they really had a free agent bonanza was last year when they had an advantage. They were one of the few teams that had cap space during the COVID year. It just happened to work out that way. And if you think they're just going to buy up all these people, there's going to be a bidding war next year. The Patriots don't get into bidding wars. They're going to go to guys early that they want, that they target, what they did last year, and said, this is what we're offering you, take it or leave it. And if you don't, we're moving on to, you know, the next guys on our list. And so, you know, I understand that people want to believe, all right, well, they're doing this and next year and that. Um, I just wouldn't bank on that. I do think that, like you said, Belichick wants to win. I think he believes he think he, he can win, even though we look at it and we're just like, I don't know how they're going to compete. It's going to be tough, and it is. But, you know, I, I do think they're looking for second year in the system leaps from a lot of guys. And I'm not here to say that that is not going to happen because I have faith. I liked the Nelson Aguilar signing. I liked Johnny Smith. I like Josh Uche, you know, guys of that ilk. And, uh, you know, we'll have to see whether it pays off. Yeah, and I, I think Kendrick Bourne had a really good first year. And if he can build yep. off of that, I think that dude is a legitimate Hell weapon. Yeah. And, and I think mm-hmm. he can have I think he can have a really good season and Ramondre yep. Stevenson with a, with a year under his belt. Uh, I do think there is more to tap from this current roster than people give it credit for. One last thing uh, before we move on to some other stuff. Um, I just want to mention, you know, Belichick talking about Matt grow and, you know, it's interesting. We talked about grow getting the gig over Elliot Wolf. And at first, you know, I don't know if it made sense to you. You, you questioned it a little bit. And to me, it was a little mm-hmm. weird. But now when you pull back from 30,000 feet, I think it makes more sense. Like Matt Groh is college guy, college football dude, Um, you know, understands the draft better than I think anybody in that building. Yep. Elliot Wolf is more the NFL guy, the NFL personnel guy. And so if you're Belichick, you say to yourself, well, me and Elliot can handle kind of the NFL personnel side of this. Like I've got that in a headlock. And you kind of marry that stuff with, you know, you marry that with the thoughts of, of Kraft and what he said last year. And again, this year about the draft and how they stunk at drafting. And when you pull back from 30,000 feet, it makes more sense. You know, that Belichick would tab the guy who was the draft guy, the college football guy and say, okay, we're building this team through the draft last year. Of course they crushed, you know, they went after it in free agency, as we've talked about. But we had a great draft last year with, with Grow in a position in the hierarchy. If we have another killer draft this year, that's two years we build momentum. And let's put the guy that is better at that side of the job than me and Elliot. Let, let's, let's let him run this thing here because this offseason is going to be more focused on the draft. And moving forward is going to be more focused on the draft. And we're not going to be spending, as you said, hundreds of millions of dollars in offseasons every offseason. So it actually makes more sense to me when I think about it and when I hear Kraft talk about it, that they they took the guy who had the college football draft background and made him the dude instead of the guy who had the NFL personnel background because I think Belichick feels pretty confident that as far as NFL talent, kind of knows what he's doing and, and Elliot can help him with that stuff. Does it make well, sense to you, Greg? Yeah, it does. I mean, there's a line of thinking that Belichick uh, promoted Grow instead of Elliot Wolf because – Wolf had two more GM, uh, you know, interviews this pass off these, and I think it was Minnesota and Chicago, and was a finalist for both. And Belichick is sick of hemorrhaging people on, you know, just sick of hemorrhaging people. And like, you know, if I do Elliot Wolf, then you know he's going to be gone in a year, and and that sort of thing. I will say this, um, you know, and I asked a lot of questions about Grow, and you know, along with Patricia and Judge and things like that. And I got to say, and this is, you know, yes, Belichick was very, um, uh, he praised Matt Groh a lot on the record, 
from talking to people on, on, off the record at the league meetings, there's a there's a tremendous belief in Matt Groh and what he can do, his smarts, his ability, and also I was surprised to learn people think that he will be uh, sort of will speak up to Belichick when it comes to what they're doing. I also think you you talked about the pro side, you know, not only Belichick grow. Matt Patricia does a lot of stuff on there. And also Joe Judge as head coach has a lot of pro background, you know, just like Belichick is good at identifying people in the NFL. I think those guys feel more comfortable there. Steve Cargill, let's not forget him. He runs the pro personnel side. I think he's very good. I think that Cameron Williams, the young kid that they promoted to director of college scouting, I think is, is a star in the making on that side of the ball. Uh, I will say, you know, back to my point, People think Mac Rowe is the cat's meow. I mean, they really do. I mean, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to, I have no idea. So I'm going with what a lot of smart people think. I will tell you uh, now in the distance, people are not exactly favorable to Nick Casario and the job that he did and how sort of uh, he did not have the voice to counter Bill Belichick. Dave Ziegler did a much better job at that. There's more confidence in Matt Groh and also just his overall talent in, in scouting the college. And, and I think that um, there's a lot of people in that building who believe in Matt Groh and think he's going to do a really good job. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, before we move on with some uh, thoughts on other things happening, uh, let's talk about our friends. Our friends at betonline.ag. You know all about them, the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports, including the UFC. Not a, not any events this weekend for the UFC, Greg, but next weekend is a big-time pay-per-view you want to pay attention to, so uh, that's always fun. I know you have more deets, as they say. Do they even say that anymore on betonline.ag? <laughs> I don't think the kids do. After months of playing, college basketball <laughs> has determined the top teams for the Final Four and will determine this year's national champion this coming weekend with the blue bloodiest of blue blood uh, Final Fours with Duke, oh, North yeah. Carolina, Kentucky, and Villanova. Looking to wager these games? Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50, that's CLNS50, to get started. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all your updated odds and information, along with player props and great contests throughout the year. Your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so join today. Learn why everyone is saying bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all the popular sports and games. Bet online where the game starts. And congrats to PC for a hell of a run with Coach Cooley. And I'm always kind of in a weird spot and position because I, I went to URI. I'm a URI grad, and Rudy. you know they are the main rival. Yep, good old Rody Rams. They're the they're the main rival uh, of PC uh, in basketball, obviously. And you know it, it's really difficult. But I grew up watching PC, and um, they are they're always kind of in the heart. So it's kind of it's a crazy situation when they play URI. I hope URI bludgeons them. But when they when they don't play URI, I root for PC because I watched a ton of them growing up with Austin Crozier and uh, Derek Flight Brown and all the God Sham God and all those cats and Dickie Simpkins. So uh, you know, I I just enjoyed their run. I wish Reeves and Bynum played much better against Kansas because they had a legitimate shot of beating Kansas and getting you know to the Elite Eight, which would have been epic. But still, a great run by Coach Cooley and those guys. As Greg brought up the uh, Final Four, how about Coach K? His last. His last hurrah might be against UNC. What a story that would be. Um, yep. Let's get back to football. Tom Brady won again, Greg. Um, Bruce Arians <laughs> goes to the front office. Uh, but don't worry, you know, Tom Brady was in the front row of his press conference. So that means they got together and they were great friends, um, according to some in the media. Y- your thoughts on, you know, Brady and what people were saying about Brady at the meetings and this Arians move, which obviously, you know, a month before the draft to me is pretty, pretty, pretty late for your head coach to all of a sudden go to the front office. Yeah. Look, it, two weeks after Tom Brady unretires, Bruce Arians all of a sudden retires. And, you know, they could say whatever on the timing. And there are certainly people out there are putting an Arians spin on this. 
But look, let's call call it what it was. This was orchestrated by Tom Brady. This was this was, or at least he knew it was coming, and that's why he decided to come back. And you know, to me, with that, even before this happened, first of all, Bruce Arians left the league meetings for a personal reason, you know, and didn't even finish out. Um, you know, that was odd. I heard at the league meeting, somebody told me, and they would know um, that first of all, Tom Brady still has no cares for Bill Belichick, the person, but his time in Tampa has enhanced his respect for Bill as a football coach and what, what everything that he does and the position that he put Tom in and that Tom, let's just say Tom does not feel the same way about Bruce Arians. So, you know, the stuff that we have been talking about, we talked about this when he retired. I said, I don't know. I don't believe that he's retired. He's still on top. I think that he's disgruntled with Arians and the situation there, and he's trying to orchestrate things. I think Tom Brady absolutely did that. I think that I don't think that he would have come back if he knew Bruce Arians was going to be the coach this coming season. And so all of a sudden he comes back, and two weeks later, Bruce Arians is gone. That is not a coincidence. It's not. It's clear as day. It's clear as day. Mm-hmm. And I know Bruce Arians and he, he curses and, and the media loves him because he's just a chuckle, chuckle, cigar, smoking, bourbon, yep. whatever, drinking, hell raising. Oh, hell yeah. On WrestleMania weekend and everybody loves the guy. And so you're going to get this faction of media. And I don't need to name names. You'll, you can figure it out rather quickly the way they handle this Bruce Arians thing. You are going to get Arians buddies. You're, you're going to get the guy, the people that, you know, we'll, we'll defend him and say, no, he didn't lose a battle. He, you know, this was his decision the entire way. Go through the chain of events. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. Brady retires, quote unquote. And look, he, he got me, he hoodwinked me. You know, I, I sat on my show and looked like a moron. Cause I, I went and pontificated about how, you know, he left one year left on his contract because he didn't want to be a distraction during his final year and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, Brady is the ultimate team guy. And, and I think, you know, some of that is still true, but uh, we all know what happened here. Like, he didn't want to play for Bruce anymore. Uh, he didn't know if he was going to be able to win the tug of war. So he went the retirement angle to put their feet to the fire. Uh, then all of a sudden, rather quickly, he's leaving the door open like a few days later uh, with Jim Gray. And then, you know, the, all the stuff comes out about the Niners and, oh, he might not want to be retired and blah. And, and, and he was putting, he was putting as the wind chimes behind me sound beautiful. Mm. Um, he was, you know, he's, he's putting the feet to the fire is what he was doing. He was putting the bucks feet to the fire and saying, look, okay, you want to play hardball with me. You want to draw the line in the sand. You're not going to trade me. So I'm going to retire. And the only way you get me back, unless you want Kyle Trask or some other, you know, ham and Ager to be the quarterback the only way you get me back is if you allow me to do things my way and, and you let me run this offense and you get Bruce out of my way because I can't deal with it anymore. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he shows up at the soccer match and speaks to the Glazers. And the very next day he unretires right before right. free agency and all these guys come back. And then, you know, as you said, two weeks later, Bruce Arians just randomly says, Oh, I'm going to go to the front office and he's having this press conference and, Arian says, oh, the title, he doesn't even know what he's doing. He's he, he literally admitted, I don't know what this role is. So you think two weeks before, you know, a month before the draft, two weeks after Brady says I'm coming back, it doesn't make any sense. Todd Bowles is now the head coach. He's also going to call the defensive plays. It, none of it makes sense. It all sometimes, you know, what is it, Occam's razor, as Adam Jones would always yep. say when, when we used to do a show together sometimes the easiest explanation is the explanation, right? The, the most simplest form. It's, it's obvious. Brady wanted him out. He lost the power struggle. Bruce Arians after the season said nothing about, you know, retiring or going to the front office. Everything he said was we want to run this thing back and we want Brady back and we want to win. And so give me a break. We all know what was going on. We all know what happened there. They're even putting him in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers like ring of honor, which I think is a, Hey, thanks Bruce for stepping aside and not causing issues, allowing us to put the bullet in your head, going out, you know, quietly 
and, and doing it the way you did. We'll put you in the ring of honor. You can get this front office gig. We'll pay you a, a couple million dollars so you can sit in a suite on Sundays with your feet up and you drink and you smoke your cigars and hang out. Like that, that's what would happen. Um, a lot of stuff is said at the uh, meetings, Greg, that you were just at down in Florida. I, I want to know what the craziest thing you heard at the meetings was. So I, and, and I don't know what to make of this, but you know, it was somebody who is very smart, very plugged in, told me this. Uh, I asked about, <clears throat> you know, I was asking about Bill O'Brien asking around about him, you know, why isn't he with the Patriots? It makes the most sense. I mean, it's just be like Josh McDaniels, you know, coming back after Denver and St. Louis. And I was told that there's a belief that Bill O'Brien um, is in position to be the next Alabama coach. And that that's why Whoa. he's still there. I, I have no clue if that's true. I'm just passing along what I heard. And yeah. Well, it, it sounds crazy, but it makes sense, right? Like if you were Bill O'Brien and you had some desire to go back into the NFL and, and you thought, you, you know, going back to New England and, and being the offensive coordinator in New England, we know that almost every single hire now in the league is offensive coordinator positions being moved up, right? I mean, you just look around. The Sean McVay coaching tree is out of control. They're going to start getting guys that like clean the toilets in LA and, and put them in like big spots around the league because it's Sean McVay. Um, but when you, when you look at it, you know, why would Bill O'Brien turn down the chance of being the new England offensive coordinator with Mac Jones and get back in the league? One of the only things that would make sense is that he knows he has the inside track on Alabama and Saban of course is he's about 70 and maybe he's been told by Saban that, Hey, you know, a couple of years from now, I'm, I'm going to be out ski. And, you know, look. And why wouldn't you, if you're Alabama and you're Nick Saban, why wouldn't you want to stay within the, the Belichick family and just yep. continue on instead of like plucking hot shot with, you know, new system and all that. This is proven. It works. Bill O'Brien has been successful on the college level at Penn State. Uh, he knows how to operate the system like you know, I don't know when Nick Saban's going to, I mean, he's seven years, 70 years old, but the guy's in, he's always been in phenomenal shape. He's smart as hell. He'll coach as long as he wants to, but you know, he could get to the point where he hangs it up. And I think Bill O'Brien would be um, sort of like the perfect guy to continue on. If you're Alabama, you're like, all right, well, I just want to continue doing what we're doing. And that's sort of the Belichick system. Yeah. And, and let's not get it twisted. Whoever is going to be the next head coach of Alabama is going to be cherry picked by Nick Saban. Like Saban's going to have that call. Whoever yep. Saban says is the next guy is going to be the, no one's going to question Nick Saban in Tuscaloosa. He's going to walk up and say, Bill O'Brien's the dude. And that's what's going to be done. Simple, easy. Uh, let's get to yep. the boss's fortune.com member question of the day. Check them out at BSJ 39 99 on the annual plan. Not only do you get top notch analysis of all the Boston pro sports, but if you're a Patriots junkie, and if you're listening to this podcast, you are, unless you just love Greg and I, then a membership at BSJ gives you access to a ton of video analysis that Greg does on the coaches film and direct access to this man in weekly chats. Uh, this question is from Brian. No last name, just Brian. Uh, does signing Jabril Peppers affect getting a comp pick for J.C. Jackson, or was he a no-comp street free agent? That's the first question. I have a follow-up, but let's address the first question. Greg. First question is, uh, he was an unrestricted free agent. It does not affect JC Jackson. If, and it, I don't even think it affects, he he's getting paid so little. And you also have to remember that playing time the following year also factors in the, the equation. And, uh, so no, it doesn't, it doesn't affect anything. I think the Patriots, and by the way, that the timing, just to let people know, uh, it's the Monday after the draft. Once the Monday after the draft is over, now you can sign any free agent you want, and they don't uh, they don't factor into the compensatory pick formula. All right, follow up question, and this is I think what more people want to want to hear about anyway. Uh, Brian asks, "Am I too optimistic to think that if Peppers is healthy, he's the one addition that could make a real difference in 2022?" Uh, it's an interesting question. I said, look, I'll start here. And, and the big caveat is if he's healthy, um, I'll say this about Jabril Peppers. He's a talented guy. He went in the first round by the Browns. 
Um, he he was one of Joe Judge's favorite players with the Giants. That tells me he's he's coachable. Uh, he's always been known as a leader. He could play multiple positions. Um, I was just looking up his size. It says he's 5'11", 215. That was probably coming out of college. Uh, he's a guy who, coming out of college, people weren't really sure where he was going to play. Um, you know, is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? I think, I think, look, number one, he has to get healthy. He tore his ACL in week six last year. Like, let's be re- realistic about what he's going to do. I, I would not be surprised, and I'm sure there's reports to say, oh, he's going to be ready for camp. I don't really believe that. I think that he's more of a candidate to start the season on the pup list. You pretty much got to go a full season or a full year, and that would bring him about to the midpoint of the season. I do think he has the ability. He, he's good backup in case there is an injury at safety, uh, Adrian Phillips or, or Kyle Duggar especially. But I do think ultimately I think he, he slots in as a sub-package linebacker for this team and uh, you know gives them the ability to um, be a lot more versatile. Uh, he can help cover guys out of the backfield, tight ends, things like that, stick his nose in in the run game. Yes, healthy, and it's a big if. Uh, yes, Jabril Peppers can help this team. I just wouldn't you know, bank on anything. He's, he's another tool in the tool chest, and we'll have to see how things play out. I like it a lot. I, I do like this signing a lot. Um, yeah. If he's healthy, it, it's a caveat. If he's healthy, um, and ACLs, look, I don't want to write off ACLs, but we know ACL injuries are not as crushing as they were five, 10 years ago. You you can come back six to nine months later and, and feel pretty good. You're not, you're not going to look like the same guy immediately. Right. But you never know how the human body is going to react. Everybody is different. Generally speaking, ACLs are not as bad as they were a decade ago. But the reason why I like this, I think a couple of things, he brings so much versatility. He can cover backs out of the backfield. As you mentioned, you're not going to get crushed by wheel routes if Pepper's out there, which is great. And, and I think Mac Wilson has that kind of same ability as well. He can cover tight ends. As you mentioned, uh, he can also cover w- some wide receivers. And uh, I think, you know, when you look at trying to improve the athleticism of this football team, he does that. He is an outstanding, again, if the ACL heals fine and all that, he's an outstanding athlete. He, nobody, nobody would question his athleticism. And he also was a really, you know, he's got, he's got a high ceiling as a punt returner, which, you know, without Gunnar Oshevsky, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Peppers plays some special teams and is at yep. least in part your punt returner. I, I got a bigger question for you. And we just got a couple minutes left here. I know we've gone long, but I couldn't care less. This is a fun conversation. Um, when I look at this secondary and I look at what the, the Patriots are doing, we always talked about like the amoeba kind of front seven and, and how they would shuffle guys in the front seven and move guys yep. around on the, am I, is this just a crazy theory of mine outside the box, Nick, you know, <laughs> settle down a little bit, hit me with it. But are we seeing a little bit of like an amoeba kind of style in the second and third levels now where like you, you are putting a bunch of pieces that can move around and you never, you never really know when you're the offense, like you're going to everything right now in the NFL is pre-snap movement, right? Misdirection is Belichick setting this team up to be able to just almost like in basketball terms, switch like the Celtics switch. Everybody is Belichick setting this up where he just goes, look, we got a couple of boundary cornerbacks who can do a decent job. They're not great, but if Malcolm Butler looks like he did in 20, he's fine. Jalen Mills is a two. He's fine, but we're going to get a bunch of pieces. We've got peppers. We've got McCordy. We've got Duggar. We've got Mills. We've got these guys that can play. Uh, Phillips is another one guys that can play in different spots. They can pick up a dude on the boundary. They can pick up a slot. They can pick up a tight end. They can pick up a running back. And, and maybe the idea of this, is to play a little bit more zone coverage, but to be able to change on the fly with different versatile pieces versus saying JC Jackson, one Jalen mills, two or two safeties and more or less have like an amoeba like second and third level. And you can throw Mac Wilson in there as well. Am, am I crazy for thinking that's a possible idea that Belichick has right now? Boy, somebody's brain's been overheating this offseason <laughs> with the Patriots' lack of activity. Look, look, I, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shoot that down, Nick. I do think, I think what you're seeing is 
the Patriots at the base, they realized that they had a humongous speed deficiency last year and they're willing to get a little bit smaller and faster. Um, that's what I see. I do think that they're going to need to be able to, you can do that, but you got to be able to defend the run first better than they did last season. To me, that's why if I'm the Patriots, I'm figuring out a, a way to get a guy like Jordan Davis from Georgia and you put him next to Barmore, you basically put him in the middle of the line, your run defense improves. And, you know, he can be the sort of the solo guy in the middle and even in sub, you know, and don't really worry about that. But they're also going to have to – they're going to have to be a better um, – you know, they're going to have to get more pass rush. We'll see. You know, will they get a guy like Trey Flowers that, that you know, one of the guys that we said, you know, is still sort of out there. Um you know they're gonna have to, they're gonna have to be better with the pass rush. They're still gonna have to cover, but I do think right now the only thing I'm willing to say is they're trying to get smaller and quicker. But that's that's a that's a tight window to go. We've seen other defenses like that. Like I would say the Cardinals defense has been like that, where they've been a lot. You know, uh, but they also had like Chandler Jones and other guys, Calais Campbell getting pressure or stuffing the run. So that's been successful. Um, it, it, you know, for for the Patriots, the way they like to play to go this route, to me, it's very interesting, and we'll have to see what what other pieces they add to sort of make that a reality come the season. Outside of the draft, three guys I'd be looking at. You mentioned a couple of them, but Calais Campbell is still out there. Yep. Um, Akeem Hicks is still out there. Yep, and Trey Flowers is still out there. If you could get yep. two of those three guys. I feel pretty good about that defensive front. If you can get two of those, yep. you know, three of those guys. And if you don't, if you get one of them, if you get flowers, but you draft a Wyatt or a Davis, as you mentioned, Greg, then, you know, you can kind of see this thing be put together a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. He is Greg Bedard. I am Nick Cattles. Therefore this show, this podcast is called the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles it is brought to you by BetOnline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. Greg, it's been fun. Have a good weekend. Enjoy yourself. Be healthy. Be good. And uh, we'll do this all again next week. Sound good? Sound good. Thanks, buddy.